Good morning, everyone. Let me get all my ducks in a row here. Isn't it good to be here, to be in a warm, dry place with sun shining outside? Even though it is below freezing, it's good to be here, and we thank God for that. This is Christmas Day, and I'd like to read the scripture from Galatians chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 and going through verse 7. Philippians, or rather Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Now I say this, say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guidance, and standards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is a time when most of the world, at least the believing world, uh, celebrates the birth of Christ. Uh, and certainly, we are thankful to God, according to this scripture, that he did send forth his son. Born of a woman, as we read in John 1, verse 14, he came and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Even though the scriptures nowhere in uh, the Lord does not instruct us to celebrate or commemorate his birth, it is nice to know that at this time of year, people in general, I'd like to think maybe the majority of believing people around the world are thinking about spiritual things, even though it might not last but a day but at least right now they're thinking about it. And so we do give praise, honor, and glory to God that in his great infinite wisdom, he chose to come in the form of his son, born of a woman, under the law, living a perfect life, going to the cross as that perfect sacrifice, dying and being raised again the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of our God and Father. Praise be to God for that. I'm not going to be preaching a Christmas sermon this morning. I just wanted to make that acknowledgement 
What we are instructed to remember is the death of Christ, and that might seem a little um, against one another, uh, those two terms, celebrating his birth, celebrating his death, but yet the Lord only instructed us to commemorate his death, and we do that according to the scriptures every first day of every week. And we will be doing that in just a few moments, remembering the death of Christ and what it means. So this morning, I'd like for us to look at something else for a few minutes. If you've already read your bulletin, you'll notice that David had an article in there, Have You Not Read? It's a good article, um, mentioning several times this phrase, Have You Not Read? Where it was written, such and such. Uh, referring to Scripture, the Word of God. Have you not read that concerning this, uh, whatever the situation might be? And really that's what I'm wanting to talk about this morning. I'm wanting to talk about another phrase, it is written. It is written. Sometimes we sing a song, it's not in the book, but it's put up on the screens. I haven't sung it for a while. Uh, so, Paul and Susie, you might put a bug in your son's ear. Ancient words. Ancient words. It's a beautiful song, and it is talking about God's Word. Ancient words. But referring back to Matthew chapter 4, and uh, I might mention here at the beginning I'm going to be uh, using a lot of scripture. I'm going to be reading scripture, one right after the other. And it might be best, instead of looking up every scripture that I mentioned, if you just listen. And there's a lot to be said uh, in the Word of God about listening to God's Word. But in Matthew uh, 4 and verse 4, we recognize the context, of course, Jesus has been led into the wilderness after his baptism by John the Baptist. And there Satan comes to tempt him. And one of the temptations is when Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And it is at that point that our Lord responded to him and said, It is written, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And so that's what I'm wanting to talk about. The Word of God, and through the centuries, in God's providence, the many books of the Bible were coming into being separately and under varying conditions. And today, we have the complete revelation of God because in the past, the Bible grew under favorable and directing influence of God who is the author of all things. So truly, how we came to have our Bible 
as it is today, is truly an amazing miracle. The beginning of the Bible goes all the way back to the beginning of time. In the patriarchal age, we see that uh, God spoke directly to such men as Adam and Noah, Abraham, and others. But the time came when it was necessary for the divine will to be put in a more permanent form by means of a written word. And so it was in God's providence or his purpose that by means of the written word, he be revealed to all ages and tongues as creator and redeemer. So I'm wanting to look then in the minutes to follow three avenues through which God's ancient words have come down to us. They've come down to us, first of all, through God's spoken word. Next, he came, it came down to us through God's written word. And then finally, God's word has come down to us through his providential word. And so we're going to be looking at these three avenues in the time that we have remaining uh, this morning. First of all, consider with me the spoken word of God. Initially, as we've already mentioned, God spoke to man directly. God gave man instructions. In Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17, the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so here we see God speaking directly to man and giving instructions. Intimately in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, we find God speaking directly to man. In Genesis 3, in verses 9 and 13 and 16 through 17, listen to what the Bible says. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent descended upon me, deceived me, and I ate. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be toward your husband. He shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So we see an intimacy here in God speaking directly to man. Genesis tells us that it was customary in those early days for God to come down and walk in the garden with them. So not only was God speaking directly to man, it was an intimate way of communicating with man, just walking and speaking to him. 
But then came the fall, the disobedience to the command, the instructions that God had given. And after the fall, God spoke less frequently and not intimately as before. But still, God spoke directly to man, to specific individuals, at specific times, and for a specific purpose, such as to Cain, and to Noah and his sons, and to Abraham, etc. Then later on, as we all know, God spoke to man through the prophets. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets, and then so on. But now God is speaking to man through the prophets. Exodus 3 tells us that Moses was called to be a prophet. He was given God's law for the people. And then select men were called to bring God's people to repentance and obedience, and we find this in the books of Judges and Kings and then the prophets. But after the prophet Malachi, there was no other book added to the Hebrew Scriptures. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, the prophet writes, and God speaking through him, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then in chapter 4 of Malachi, in verses 3 through 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so it was. After the uh, fall and after he began to speak through the prophets, by this time, by the time of Malachi, in writing these last words of revelation from God, by this time the Jews had already returned from Babylonian captivity. The temple had been rebuilt. Law and the Levitical priesthood had been restored. And they had been cured from idol worship. But they were not honoring God. There was neglect. There was corruption. And so no revelation from God for 400 years until John the Baptist ensued. Only this little glimpse of the future that we find in Malachi. So by the time of Jesus, 400 years later, the Old Testament scriptures had already become ancient. That's an interesting thought. So when Jesus is talking about it is written, he's referring to the ancient words of the old law, the law of Moses. 
Genesis through Malachi. Then finally, God spoke through his son Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us that God in these last days has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And then in Luke chapter 9 and verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And so the word of God became flesh in Jesus. In 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And the word, in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so the word became flesh. And then, after about three years of his ministry as the Son of God, as the Messiah, after being about 30 years of age, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended to God on high. So after Jesus' ascension to heaven, the Holy Spirit would enable the apostles to faithfully convey all of Jesus' words. In John chapter 14, verses 23 through 26, notice, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then again in John chapter 16, beginning with verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will, he will uh, declare it to you. And so after Jesus left earth, having spoken as in the flesh as being the word of God, now going back to heaven, he told his apostles that the Holy Spirit is going to continue the helper in my absence. 
And so they would be able to remember everything that Jesus had taught. He would guide them into all truth. And so the word of God would be continued on. Jesus' teachings became God's new covenant with his people at the cross. We read in Colossians 2.14, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And so Jesus' teachings become the new covenant. The old covenant was that of Moses. The new covenant is the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So at the same time that the word was being spoken, it began to be written. And so we'll look now, secondly, at the written word of God. And we begin to hear such things as holy men of God as the ones who would continue to record God's word. So according to what we've just read, God's Holy Spirit led select men to put God's words into writing. In 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 21, the Bible says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And so God's Holy Spirit continued to enable holy men of God to record and to continue speaking and recording God's word. Copies of God's inspired written word, both Old and New Testament, uh, both the old uh, copies of God's inspired written word, Old and New Testament, are referred to as scriptures. And the Old and New Testament writers were also inspired. We are familiar with the scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or in other words, God breathed. 
So we have God's inspired scriptures. And over time, copies of the Old and New Testament scriptures were collected and passed down through generations. By the end of Malachi, the written Old Testament scriptures had been collected into one body of material. And shortly after Revelation in the New Testament, the written New Testament scriptures had been collected into one body of material. So the total collection of Old and New Testament scriptures came to be referred to as the Bible. So the Bible is God's written revelation to man and the complete revelation to man. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. And then also in Jude chapter 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so in God's providence, only the inspired genuine scriptures came to be included in the collection and accurately copied in the centuries following the completion of Revelation. In God's providence, the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek of the Old and New Testaments began to be translated into other languages. And in God's providence, the printing press put the Bible into the hands of the masses. And so we've looked at God's spoken word. We've looked at God's written word. And now we come to the third avenue, which is God's providential word. Think about this, and you've heard this before, but think of it afresh. Forty writers from different backgrounds in three languages over a 1,600-year time period authored our Bible. Yet in God's providence, there is perfect harmony from beginning to end. The Bible is proven to be historically, geographically, and scientifically accurate. In 2,000 years, since the close of Revelation, it has been translated into over 700 languages, more than any other book. Throughout history, of course, unbelievers have tried to destroy the Bible. Yet it remains today and is continually the best-selling book, whether it's in hard copy or whether it's in your iPhone. It is the bestseller. 
and always will be. So during 400 years between the Old and New Testament, when there was no revelation, God preserved his word. And in the 2,000 plus years from the close of Revelation to the present day, with no new revelation from God, his providence ensures accurate transmission of the ancient words once for all delivered to the saints that we call the Bible. Now, God's word was intended to be translated into the common spoken language of the day. Translations, as we all know, are not inspired. God's word is what is inspired. But yet God approves translations. We all know, of course, that Jesus himself quoted from a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures known as the Septuagint. So God's providence ensures that God's inspired word will always be accurately translated in any language in any age. How do we know this? Because we read in Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, says the Lord, will by no means pass away. So in other words, God's providential word, our Bible, is eternal. Listen to three scriptures in a row. Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. The voice said, cry out, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. In Psalms 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And then John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so we see how that God's providence has worked into this story of the scriptures. We have seen that God, in the beginning, spoke directly to man. Then we see how that God's spoken word begins to be recorded by God's instruction, written down. And then we have seen God's providential word, showing that how that no new revelation has come, but yet God has promised that God's word can be faithfully translated at any time for us to read and understand the will of God. So by way of wrapping all of this up, let's go back to Mark 4 and verse 4 where we began when Jesus told Satan, it is written. He has two phrases after that. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And so it is. Man cannot by himself live. He just can't. 
There is a way that seems right unto man, according to Proverbs 14 and verse 12, where it says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So man can't live without the word of God. He can't go it his own way. We're told that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the hearer. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Then Jeremiah 10 in verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And then finally in Psalms 119, 105, we see that the word, the living and active word of God is a light to our feet. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so that first phrase, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And we see that certainly that's the case. We can't go it alone. We have to have God with us through his word. Then the second phrase, but by every word of God. Again, we understand that the only way we can live is by the word of God. We've already looked at 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed. Then in John chapter 6 and verse 68, But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Jesus has the words of eternal life. And Jesus' words must ever be in our heart. In Colossians 3.18, we are admonished, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And so it is that Jesus' word must always be in our hearts. And that can be because we have the Bible, the written, inspired Word of God, and we will have it until the day that Christ comes again. So let me just conclude by reading the words of this song. And I want to hear either James or Ben lead this song sometime soon. Ancient words. Listen to the words of this song. Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Words of life, 
words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. In this world, where'er we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Holy words of our faith handed down to this age came to us with sacrifice. Oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Praise and thanksgiving be unto God that we have the Bible. God's Word and our intellect that we can read and we can understand and we can obey. And we are forever thankful to God for that. You're here this morning and you're not in Christ. It means that you're out of Christ and there is no salvation outside of Christ. The scriptures teach us that if a believer will be willing to repent or turn from his sins, be willing to confess before man that Christ is the Son of God, and according to Christ's command, be baptized into Christ in his name for the forgiveness of sins, that you can be saved. And that is what we wish for you. If you are here and you're outside of Christ, baptism is the point in our obedience that actually puts us into Christ, for we are baptized into Christ. And we encourage you to come, if for other reasons, if you are a child of God, but need the prayers of this congregation, we invite you also to respond to the song as we now stand and sing. <laughs>